Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and the ever-elusive Brian Appleby-Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Founded by three exceptional and handsome leaders in the trumpet community, the World Trumpet Federation is rapidly becoming known for its valuable information, fresh perspective, and general awesomeness. Looking for inspiration as a teacher? WTF. Looking for ways to improve your playing? WTF. If you're looking elsewhere for all things trumpet, just think to yourself, WTF, and go to worldtrumpetfederation.com for all your trumpet and teaching needs. And the all-new Toyota Corolla, now available in brilliant translucent beige. The Corolla has been endorsed for years by our own Brian Appleby Weinberg as his motor car of choice. With its stealthy tan hue, it's nearly invisible in traffic, parking lots, and to anyone who actually loves and enjoys motor vehicles. If you're looking for a car that will keep you anonymous for hundreds of thousands of miles, schedule a test drive today. And to receive a substantial discount on your purchase of a new tan Corolla, tell them you heard about it here on The Open Bell. And of course, use the discount code CHAMELEON. Here's a little about the show. We essentially have three segments. Warming up, couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what kind of nonsense are you going to shoot through the old shepherd's crook today? <laughs> wow. I was actually going to talk about the shepherd's crook. I'm glad I decided to do oh, Are you that. seriously? Oh, no. yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, so I, wanna, I have two things this week. Uh, the first one is... Two, um, you get I, two things? No, you don't yeah, get two things. They're, they're related. I, I don't... We didn't... By the shepherd's crook. Okay. Um, so the first one is um, just a little shout out, shout out to um, Richard Schwartz, who's a retired teacher from uh, Virginia State University. And he put together this great book. Um, and it's now a website you can go and peruse. It's called The Cornet Compendium. Um, oh and I know... Yeah, the history and development of the 19th century cornet. It's a great site, and it has a massive bibliography. So I know that everybody who's been listening to the show, all six people, um, are really interested in the history of cornet, and oh, um, yeah. and they want to do some further reading, and uh, so they can uh, they can go to the site, and it's a huge. I mean, probably a hundred different citations um, and a lot of great information. So. Um, uh, this is exactly what everyone yeah. listening to a trumpet podcast is like. Where can right. read There's, up more yeah. on the read history more, yeah. of cornet? There's people hitting pause right now yeah. to go look for that. So go, yeah, just go look up. Uh, on the, just Google it. Um, and uh, he was a theorist and a woodwind player, and of course from the Ravelli band um, in Mich at Michigan. Um, so it was it's a it was it's great reading and it's interesting material and uh, and a lot of fun. And then the second thing is also cornet related, and that mm. is that I do have now my copy of um, that soprano cornet player we mentioned. Mentioned a couple weeks ago, Peter Roberts. Mm -hmm. He had this CD called Legend, um, and I'll just show it to you. Right, you can see it all uh, you know through, so through the yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no video, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a fabulous recording. Um, still, my favorite my favorite piece is the um, is the Spark Flowerdale uh, oh, yeah. by far, and uh, it's amazing. It's a great recording, um, and I just wanted to, that's what's been going through my mind this week. Cornet Excellent. Compendium and a, cornet and, a, compendium. and an older cornet recording. Yeah, wow. early on it. It's so great this is you what's to, on your mind today yeah. is yes. cornet history. <laughs> it's yep. great of you to branch doing out. Great work. Yeah, I think yeah. it brings a lot of diversity to the show. Broadening your horizons. Yeah. Well, music, you know. Yeah, there it is. That's sure. what you're really trying to say. Wow. Uh, Joey, what do you have today? I got this question for you. Let me tell you, I want to tell you two quick stories, and then I want to ask a question. Wait, everyone's got, what, what's two? No, I'm, I'm, the, the two stories are just a, a a prerequisite to ask the question. Oh, We've been okay. doing preparation for this thing, man. Apparently. Yeah. Well, catching working, up. Doing, you guys are finally, finally catching up. <laughs> All right. All right. So when I was in high school, I was getting ready for like a district band thing. And it was the morning of, and my band director, who was, uh, he was a great man. Uh, he, he ended up passing away when I was in college. His name was, uh, was Mr. Brady. And Mr. Brady came up and he says, how you feeling this morning? I said, I, I think we're doing fine, Mr. Brady. How are you? And he said, what'd you have for breakfast? Do you have any milk? 
And I looked at him, I said, what? <laughs> I, no. He says, good. Slows down the tonguing. You don't want to do that. And, and I laughed, and I walked off, but he was very serious about that. And then later on, my, it was one of my first years here at IU, I had a student come in, and I noticed he had a, a little bottle of hot sauce in his trumpet case. And I asked him about it. I said, what do you, what do you got going there? And he says, oh, I'm going to show you this. It's a secret. So what you do is if you're going to be playing like some high notes and stuff, you rub the hot sauce on your lips and it like <laughs> opens up the pores so that you can then play high. And, and I, I started laughing and said, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. He goes, no, man, it totally works. I'm like, um, okay, great. Knock yourself out. So my question to you two is, how much does diet or can diet affect how you play? And do you think about these things? Well, do you I don't think know. about diet related to playing? In the moment, I'm thinking about how much milk I drank as a child, and it all comes together for me. Now. <laughs> it explains everything. everything. <laughs> as a resident vegan, I would say, yeah, don't drink milk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think about, about it a little bit. You know, when I started to think about it, actually, right out of undergrad school, I met Barry Stoner, who was a cornet player in the President's Own. Okay. And they were having an audition at the time. And it was one of the most telling, uh, embarrassing learning experiences of my life. Like he invited me to come and audition and I went to the big cattle call and it was, it was amazing to be there and hear all those incredible players, but, and actually invited my dad and I to stay at his house. My dad like and me. The week, okay. My dad. And I stayed at his house. You did. So, he invited <laughs> my dad and me. Right. So me stayed at his house and had, I will kill you. <laughs> And it was the day of the audition, and I remember him being so specific about, I only eat this and I only eat that, and it's, he was super particular about that. That's when I started to think about it. So I would say, yes, I do. I'm careful not to eat too much before I play specifically. Okay, so volume, sure, but are there specific foods that you are either yeah, I don't do say the spicy, yes or you avoid or do anything? Don't do the spicy thing for sure, and don't do a lot of salt. Really? Brian, what about you? I would say, um, yeah, I was, stay away, stay away from high salt content stuff. Uh, maybe the night before you play, and certainly the morning of. Um, I think that can can dry you out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but that's the only. That's this the only is one thing. of those things. I was when I was younger, I was never that comfortable eating right before I played. It just wasn't a thing I was really that worried about. And then I went on the road, and there were times, especially like when I was on Maynard's band, where we'd get into a sound check, and then they'd often give us dinner, and then we'd play a concert. So I got over that really quickly because uh, <laughs> that's my dinner was. So it's not something I've ever uh, really worried about an awful lot. Or I, I don't think I've run into any problems that way. But there are people that are very finicky about this. And I just didn't know where you guys came down on that. There's probably cool. some superstition involved, though, right? As well, well. I, there, I think there can be. Uh, and I was wondering, you know, but, you know, how much... How much truth is there in that too? You need to avoid or should avoid or this could do that or this could do that. I'm not so sure about those things. Wade Boggs yeah. ate, ate chicken every night before the game. That was his mm. I think Wade Boggs would have been just fine if he was eating tofu the night before too. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting concept. I think now the thing is I kind of look forward to the food afterwards as a treat. So I eat light ahead of time knowing I can go get some wings or something. No offense, Brian. <laughs> after the gig. <laughs> Yeah, right? well, that's always been a thing with musicians. You know, it's like, okay, gig's over. Now we go out. Right. So, Brian, here's what happens. Most musicians, like, you play yeah, and then you go like a thing. hang out with other people yeah. and enjoy their company. Sounds like it, a terrible idea. No, it's, 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 it's a thing. It, it actually, it actually happens and it can be delightful. It can be, yes. Yeah. Not so far, but. Um, okay, so here's one for you guys. I want to talk today a little bit about clocking your mouthpiece. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. One of these trumpet voodoo things that I heard about years ago. I don't think it's voodoo. And, well, I don't think it's voodoo anymore either. I actually did some experimenting with mine, and I am now super particular about where that picket logo goes or where that mark on the mouthpiece goes mm. when I put it in, and it is the same every time. You guys are into this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been into this for a very, very long time. I think it was, it might have been Barbara, Barbara Butler when I was an undergrad who first introduced the concept of it looks like a circle, but it's not perfect. Right. You know, machining isn't perfect, so maybe you want to be the same every day. You, you should experiment with that. So I hopped in a practice room thinking, huh, well, let me try this out. And kind of just started messing around and went, oh, wow, look at that. 
you know, and then you find what you find to be the best part for you, and then you try it a couple days in a row. If it's the same place every day, then that's just where it goes. And right. it's not always the same in every horn. So if you use the same mouthpiece for B flat and C, where that mouthpiece sits in the B flat may not be the same place it sits in the C, just the way it happens to go into the receiver and interact with the horn. Um, but, you know, one of the people who's been a big proponent of this has been Crep, um, <coughs> uh, works for Yamaha, their Bob horn designer. Bob Malone, right? Yeah. Bob Malone and Wayne Tanabe, they've been big proponents of this when people come in and, and say, hey, we're going to try some stuff out. They're like, well, first let's dial this part in. Right. You well, know. it gets rid of a variable, right? I mean, exactly. you know, it's, it's consistent every single time. So if you're not sure how to do this, go make a, make a pencil mark or something on the side of your mouthpiece, right? Or on, the, on the, the back of your mouthpiece, wherever. Just drop it in there and then just start clocking, right? Go around the clock, just like quarter turn, eighth of a turn until you find a place that just resonates a bit better, is a more comfortable, responds better than it did. And then just keep experimenting with that until you dial it in. That's the process. Yeah, Absolutely, totally, yeah, totally, totally in, in favor. Too. Yeah, yeah. I'm, even on the cornet, Brian. On the cornet, I, I did exactly the same thing. Same thing. Yep. Dial wow. in the picket, British three. There it is. <laughs> yeah. That's a good that, mouthpiece. That I, I have designed. I have oh so many others. letters, <laughs> so many letters on my picket mouthpiece that my cornet mouthpiece, I have so many choices. This <laughs> yeah. Stominator Brit, it says on there, <laughs> the whole way around there. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, you uh, didn't design the stone. Well, no, that one I you didn't. did. No. Yeah. Not the well, Stominator. Here's, here's the funny but, part on Cornette. I'm still playing a WIC 3. <laughs> yes, I right. don't even have one of the, I don't have one of the pickets. I need to call Peter. You should. Yeah. It's a beautiful design. Wait till you see it. Well, listen. <laughs> wow. It totally works. It is awesome. Sounds Doesn't great it? too. Yeah, Brian, you, you were brilliant. You did brilliant work <laughs> on that. You guys are the worst. Um, well, as it turns out, I also have two things for warming up. Oh, hold on a second. Right. You've been, wait, you've been riding us? Well, I really, I really was I was thinking about it as a separate segment, but now I'm just going to call it my second part <laughs> to this. <laughs> so listen, last week we enjoyed the orchestra edition of our most excellent open bell game show, Backboard Bingo. <laughs> now, this one might not be as amusing, but it will be informative, and I will still be able to embarrass the both of you if all goes well. All right, this week it's time for Backboard Bingo. Superwoman edition. Oh, jeez. That's right. It's a chance to highlight some of the amazing women that grace the trumpet field with their talent, skill, expertise, and artistry, and to prove what you two don't know. Okay, I'm fine proving what we don't know, but I want to argue with the name before we start. You said Superwoman, and if we're going to think of this in, in a normal superhero sort of thing, there's a Superman but a Wonder Woman. Should we call it Wonder Woman edition? Well, I, I, that's up to you guys. I'm, I'm open to that edit. Do you know a good editor we could use? <laughs> yeah, he just can't spell his own last name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Backboard Bingo, Wonder Woman edition. All right. Do you feel better now? I'm in. All right. All right. Great. Name change. Ten points to Brian. Question one. <laughs> oh, wow. I like this it already. <laughs> this incredible trumpet player was the first woman to win a lead position in a premier U.S. military band. Lisa Whitaker. Let me finish the question. <laughs> There's, this isn't like Go Jeopardy ahead. where you could chime in and get he extra points. Docked, sure it is. He gets docked points. Five more points to Brian. What? She, <laughs> She then repeated this accomplishment by winning yet another lead position in 2012, Joey. That's Lisa Whitaker. Lisa she started Whitaker. off in the Blues and then went yeah. to the, the Jazz Masters and is actually now, she'll be retiring, I believe, as of February. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Amazing lead player. We love her. Great lead player. Oh, friend of the podcast. We all uh, think she's just fabulous in every way. And she fosters dogs. She takes care of dogs <laughs> who have lost their way and gets them to get home. She's awesome. She's great. Uh, yeah, Lisa, originally from Chicago. Right, went to App State, um, and was a charter member of Diva. Is a charter yeah, member. That's of right. Diva. Yeah, yeah, still performs Crazy. with Diva. Still I believe. I don't. Yeah. I think when she can, I think she's still. Sometimes yeah. the army precludes her being there. Yeah. All right. Question two, multiple choice. Now Ooh, this is going to be a choice. tough question, so I apologize in advance because you can only pick one name from the list. If you were given the opportunity to take a lesson and have a cup of coffee, or in your case, Joey, a diet coke. Thank you with this person and talk about trumpet and music and life, which person would you pick? Are you ready? ready. A, Marie Speziali. B, Ashley Hall. C, Allison Balsam. D, Tina Thinghelseth. 
So, okay. This is hard, but I have actually gotten to spend time with Marie. Right. And she is delightful in every single way. And can I tell a quick Marie story? Can of we course. Do yeah. Marie yeah. was my predecessor at IU. So when she left to go to Rice, I'm the one who, who I'm, I succeeded her in this position here. And we had never met at that point. So it's the summer of 2003, and I'm getting moving, doing all that kind of stuff. And I get a phone call, and I answer, uh, and it's Marie. Hi, Joey. I hope you don't mind. I got your number from, from John, and I just wanted to talk to you about some of the students that, you know, that I know are they're, they're going to be your students. Congrats on the job, blah, 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 blah. And we talked for, I don't know, probably about an hour. And she was like, I want you to know about, know about, and gave me some great stuff, and then just talked in general. And I hung up thinking, oh, my gosh, that was like the coolest thing ever, and I think I have a new friend, you know. <laughs> so, and then we've seen each other occasionally here and there, and uh, she's amazing. So I have got to spend time with Marie. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Ashley, I've got to talk to just a couple of times. Ashley, we saw, was it an ITG a couple of years was, ago? Uh, she was at Westchester, too. Westchester. Played with ABB. So we watched yeah. her play with ABB, and I, I was sitting in that audience going, oh, wow, I really yeah. I need to talk with her because yeah. that playing is, is really spectacular and pristine in a way I need to talk to her about. And then she came up to talk to us after our performance and mm -hmm. was super complimentary. And I said, yeah, that's great. I need to talk to you about your stuff, and she's very, she's very modest, she's very humble, and she laughed, and she says, okay, yeah, yeah, it's fine. So I've gotten to talk to her, Now I've never met or heard live either Allison or Tina. Mm, heard them both live. Oh, I've heard Tina once live. She was right before yeah, us. She was at Westchester. No, that was ITG. I heard Allison play live in Philly with the Philly Chamber Orchestra. Yep. So Allison, wow, I've never humble. got to hear. So, gosh, that's a... So this is about, yeah, it's about trumpet, but it's also about just music, right, and life, too. I'm going, I'm going Tina, and here's why. Mm. I mean, uh, aside from the spectacular play, the 10-person the group that she has started and does some, like, chamber stuff with, yeah. Yeah. I think is really fascinating, and I want to get into that part of it, too, and I want to talk yeah. about that stuff, too. So I'm gonna, and I've met two of them. So between her and Allison, I'm going to lean that way for that particular reason. Brian, right. you're up. Brian? Yeah. It's actually the same answer for me, and the reason is that, yes, we've spent time with Marie. She's amazing, and uh, her stories are fantastic. Um, got to play um, under her baton at Westchester. She's conducting, uh, had a great time um, listening, to her, listening to her and, and uh, trying to do what she was asking us to do. It was awesome. Um, and then I did get to do some concerts with, um, with Ashley, um, have spent a lot of time, I wouldn't say a lot of time, but uh, taken a lot of notes in conversations with Ashley about how to practice things to do, how she approaches music, how she approaches preparation, um, and uh, found it fascinating and helpful. Um, and she's, of course, a terrific person. Um, and then um, I actually had lunch with Allison Balsam um, in uh, Manchester. Now with, you're just showing off. Yeah, wow. Yeah, with, uh, with one of her former teachers, um, John Gracie, who is principal in Scottish National. Uh, we had lunch before they played in this um, trumpet ensemble. Uh, I think it was called the Scottish Consort or the mm. Scottish mm -hmm. Four, something like that. Um, they did a, a trumpet ensemble from Scotland, um, and it was it was amazing. And she, I had so I had lunch with the two of them. Uh, so I have spent time, and I know that Tina is a former brass bander and cornet player. So I would love a chance to wow. to sit wow, down you and, snuck that and one chat in right <laughs> under the wire. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Chat with her, yeah. yeah. I wow. think the playing is amazing, and yeah, what we saw her at ITG, yeah, it was jaw-droppingly great. Yeah, um, yeah. Just beautiful, beautiful playing, um, and just can seem to play forever and never get tired. That's right, yeah. and the, and and the, uh, what I really like that is hard to capture uh, on the recordings is the 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 weight of her sound. Yeah. It's just a hundred percent sound and nothing extraneous in there, which I mean, her recording sound always sounds great, but live you hear that just the weight and the heft of that that not everybody really has, and she plays and like, yeah, that's that's how everything should sound. Yeah, right. it's tremendous. Yeah. And when you watch her videos, you know, if you zoom in on her face, it's just it's just a I don't know, it's a perfect setup. It looks textbook, absolutely yeah, right. It's just yeah, fantastic, so efficient. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's. That's interesting. I wasn't sure that that's the way that would go for you guys. Um, I've, I've spent some time with Ashley, and actually she dropped in and did a studio class for us here at Messiah during the spring, and it was amazing. Yeah. Like, she's great. Um, Allison, I've, like, I've heard her play, and Tina both play live. For all the times I've been around Marie and all the storytelling and all that and seen her teach, I have not had the chance to sit and 
visit with her. So I would jump at that in a heartbeat. Yeah, you should. Do I that. would go have that cup of coffee and just pick her brain about all the amazing things I've heard. So, you know. And and the thing is, Marie has the longest history of these people. Right. So sure. she, the stories and experience that she brings, I mean, are really fantastic and fabulous. Right. And she's really funny. So yeah. I think that that yes. helps that as well. She's just always so, great to be around. So she left IU. Everyone moved up a chair, and you're third. Is that's that exactly that, right. Is yeah. that the way it went? Exactly. That's, that's the, the way it chair. Goes. That's fantastic. Now, somehow, Ed Cord <laughs> retired, and Kevin Cobb has joined our faculty, and I'm still third, still third still chair. Third chair. That's, yeah. that's, that's how that Didn't works. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you're third. Think of yourself as third utility, exactly. you know, for the bass yeah. trumpet stuff. Right. That'd be good. <laughs> I'm the utility <laughs> infielder. Yeah, it is. I like it. All right. Question number three. In 1990... When this woman won a position in the United States Army Field Band, she was the only female trumpet player in the section. When she took the audition, on a dare, by the way, she was in her second year of doctoral studies at Arizona ASU. State University That's with David Turner. Hickman. There it is. Oh, Here, This yeah. is a little bit cheating on my part. I know. Was These I, are... was, I was in the Jazz Ambassadors at the time. I helped Ginger move into her first apartment. Well. I Sorry, Brian. There. I won that Inside job. Info. Yeah, I won the job. That. Well, I didn't know the question. Uh, I won the job in '88. So when she job won the job in '90, I was already there. So she gets there, and it's another relatively young person, as uh, a lot of that band, especially right. the concert band where she was, was uh, right. was some older people. But I think Brian was starting to say this. 1990. Yeah. Yeah. She's the first woman. First woman in 1990. Crazy. First woman in that in the, in in the that, trumpet section, yeah, not the right. band. Yeah. Yeah. And then ended up being the sergeant major of the band, right? Uh, and retired just a couple years ago. We were at leaving the IT or the NTC at uh, where was that? Oh, from San Antonio. We yeah. happened to be in the airport together, leaving at the same time. So we finished. We both get through security, and I said, um, "Sergeant Major," <laughs> and she oh. turned around without <laughs> thinking. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> we actually we actually grabbed lunch in the in the airport before we both ended up taking off. Uh, right. Ginger is she is uh, amazing and fantastic, and she had a rough start there. You know, coming in as a young woman uh, who plays great into mm -hmm. a section that I think when she joined was not full of people that were playing great at that time. A lot of those people had been there a long time and maybe mm -hmm. weren't at the top of their game. So they were like, yeah, you'll go down there and play third cornet. And that did not last very long when the conductors started noticing, hey, this isn't getting played. Could you play this? Could you play this? Could you play this? Right. So that uh, politically then becomes a difficult situation, which being the person that she is, she negotiated extremely well as, as, and made a whole career there. Yeah. yeah, Ginger's. She's great. great. She's a total badass. Yeah, she's yep. All right, question four. In 2006, this trumpeter was only the fifth woman in history to join the trumpet section of the United States Marine Band, the President's Own. 2006. Six. 14 years ago. Um, is that Susan Ryder? Susan had the no, job No, Susan's been there that. longer than yeah, that. She's been She's been there longer. Yeah, uh, that's an IU grad, so I went a little homer there. Uh, mm -hmm. 2006. Uh, Amy McCabe, has oh, she been there that long? Yeah. Amy, Amy McCabe, McCabe is the answer, yeah. That's a great... Amy's great awesome. When we hosted ITG uh, here at Messiah in 2009 and did a um, uh, soloist of the military, right, um, branches, yeah. did a recital, and Amy was who we invited from the Marines, and yeah. just fantastic player. Um, now, however, Amy was not the first woman to win a position as a cornet player with the president's own. No. That, of course, was? Um, teaches at uh, Texas Tech. No. no was she the first at, woman at in the Marine Teaches, it, she teaches at, at UTEP. UTEP. UTEP, that's what I meant. UTEP. Nancy Taylor. Nancy, Nancy Taylor. Taylor, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, her name went out of my head. But yeah, Nancy mm -hmm. was the first one in, yeah. And while we're at it, the first woman to join President's Own was in 1973, and it was a horn player by the name of Ruth Johnson. Oh, of course. 1973. <laughs> yeah, crazy. All right. Question five. The first female principal trumpet player in a major symphony orchestra in the United States. Susan she, Slaughter. Uh, that you guys are all over yeah, it. Susan Slaughter. Of course. I mean, she won on. a position with the orchestra in 1969 and four years later was named principal. There yeah, you go. St. Louis. Yeah. And well, just, we, we might know that, but all right, this is informative. A lot of yeah, people yeah. might yeah, know Yeah, no, no, she and Susan uh, and stayed there for a long time. I mean, she was a, a, the, just an absolute icon Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the St. Louis Symphony, and they still, you know, talk about her there. I, I go play pops every once in a while, and you can still feel, feel her presence there. She's amazing. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Well, well done, gentlemen. That was pretty good. So let's see here. Five, carry the three. 
Uh, Joey, 25 points. Brian, 29 points. Congratulations, Brian. All right. Another win. A backboard bingo for you. I need right. to I need to talk to the scorers. Where are the official scorers on this? Karen is still on vacation, but we'll get back to you. Now time for a couple of things. When it's going well, it's going well. And for some programs, it always seems to be going well. The success of a trumpet studio or any studio or band program for that matter is often enhanced by the presence of a strong culture. We can all name schools that seem to have a great culture for learning, for performance and growth, but this is not the norm for a lot of schools or programs. Let's talk about installing a culture in the studio or, or program. This might be the most important thing we can say to any incoming new teacher or mm -hmm. to a teacher who uh, seems to think that it's always the student's fault <laughs> and they're, they're doing everything right but nothing ever works out for a ser for a several years if that's the case it's it's not the students it's you uh, and establishing a culture is vital i mean think about this we can all think back to when we we're in high school and remember if you walk into you're a freshman English class in high school and there's a substitute teacher there. What happens to the class? If you mm. have a substitute in the band room who's <coughs> not somebody who knows anything about music, what happens? Everything goes crazy, right? Because that person in front does not have an established rep, does not have an established uh, culture that they've installed so then people will push and push and push. So you've gotta have that in place before uh, as it's as important as anything else you do, right? Mm-hmm. Would oh, agree yeah. entirely. No question. And there's only one person in the room that can establish that, right? It's the person who's standing in the middle or the person who's leading. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really important to, well, I mean, when you first go in, obviously you have to assess the situation and you don't want to ruffle any feathers. But um, if there's not that culture of, togetherness and supporting each other and doing things together um, and functioning together as a section um, doing things like practicing together um, I think it's it's critical um, if you think about a, a university program and this idea of um, strategic enrollment management where from first contact through active involved alumni um, how the students exist in those four years while they're there obviously they want you want to them to have a great educational experience um, but how they feel about the program is in large part about how they feel about each other and how they feel about how they got along how they retreated um, and how they made their way through all of the things they have to to go through as as uh, undergrads in a program I think it's critical um, and keeping your pulse on that talking to individuals, finding out who they are, what they want out of the program, uh, what they're hoping for. Um, so for me, it's a lot of a lot of meetings. We do this, um, I got it from Wiff Rudd actually, is the, uh, the uh, twice a week early morning group warm up. Uh, so 7 a.m. we meet, uh, we do an hour and a half together. And um, they only have to go to one of them. Some of the students go to come to both. Um, but it's a it's a time for us all to be together um, doing the same thing. We go grab coffee afterwards, um, eat a little breakfast, and then we start start our days um, academically. And I think I think it's really important. Um, and I think even in this COVID en environment, it's one of the for me one of the the best times is the studio class um, and getting to meet everyone there and talk with them and then how they interact because I have most of my students are not on campus now uh, we're doing all remote lessons um, and the same thing we did in the in the spring um, so having everybody together even visually um, is super important to how how we function yeah this the studio class is important and I, uh, my studio classes are a little bit different than I think most others and it's intentional and I think most of my students have bought into this my studio classes are they're a bit of a free-for-all and it's a very loose it's almost like a, a hang no offense to you personally Brian uh, where we come in and we might have something to talk about and I may have something I want to talk about or something I want to play or something but it's like a check-in for all of us you know where we can get in there and talk uh, I, I have a couple students from New York and I have a couple students from Chicago and I have an ongoing pizza argument that just starts anew you know uh, the first one of this year 
I said, oh, well, we need to talk pizza. And I said, you know, we do have a freshman from Chicago here now. You may be losing votes for one of my students in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go into it. And it, but it gets that, builds that community. But I'll, in a large picture, one of my worries in coming to IU is I'm going to be one of three trumpet teachers, and I don't know these other two. Right. Oh, my gosh. And when I got here, what I found with Ed Cord and with John Rommel were two guys that were very much intent upon building a, a team and a community and a culture here. And in large part, and I want to give credit where credit is due, this goes to Ed Cord. In the old, old days uh, here at IU, there were three trump there have been three trumpet teachers here for decades. The, there was a time when those three trumpet teachers did not get along. So right. although the culture within each studio could have been, po was positive, like you talked to the people here at that time, and they liked their teacher and they liked the people in their studio, the across studio part was at times at least a little contentious, and that may be the nicest way I can put that. Mm -hmm. And when Ed joined the faculty, he's thinking, why are we doing this? This just doesn't make sense at all. So he started thinking about that with the people that they would hire. So, right. and then when, when they hired me, I think one of the, the thoughts was, do we really need three orchestral guys? Maybe we can get somebody with a different kind of background. So they bring me in, they're like, oh, we seem to agree on the trumpet stuff, and he's doing this a little different, we do this a little different. And so they've really created the large-scale culture before I ever got here of we're, you know, across studios and we share a master class on Monday nights for all of the trumpet students and I do my own studio class for my studio on Thursday nights. But you want to have that, you know, in the large part in place as well. But then from the inside the trumpet studio part, you want to have exactly what you're talking about, that check-in, and they want to have that, that point of contact where the students feel supported, welcome, part of. Right. That's step one. But then step two, that's only get you, you start, that only gets you started. But then you've also got to establish the level. You've got right. to establish, and this is what I saw that I don't know that anybody's done it better than Barbara and Charlie have done it. And you know, I was one of their students when they were at Eastman. And I remember getting there in that first week and hearing everybody and thinking, oh, wow, everybody's really good. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that was Eastman, but still, you know, right. they established that. And, w and when you go in and you play, they establish of, yeah, we're professionals. You're this right. professional trouble player, and that's what I have tried to establish here at IU, is that okay? You're here now. You're not in high school. We're not. You know, you're not in school, in high school anymore. You're thinking of yourselves. We're playing at a professional level, and if you can establish that that bar exists, and then holding them accountable to that bar, can and then at the same time having that that group mentality that that in, again to quote High School Musical, we're all in this together. Yeah. Wow! Um, if you can There's get those people, one. absolutely, yeah. you got to yeah. get you get you get your head in the game. Remember there it that. is. It's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but it, it's it, that part. If you can do those two things, if you can really create a community among your students that is supportive and inclusive, and establish a level of th it's got to be at this level of performance, right. and have them working towards that, then you can't help but succeed, and then it feeds on itself. Because by the time you establish it, when the new people come in, they see where that is, and the other students bring them in and, and, and bring them in to that, yeah. and, and then it feeds on itself. I've had, across my career, both kind of experiences where I've gone into a job where there was um, sort of, the, the, that culture was established. Right. But then I've also gone where where there was none of that whatsoever. Right. Um, I look back at what it was like at Messiah here 24 years ago when I had, you know, adopted one trumpet major and, you know, was kind of doing all this different stuff, knowing that I needed to do that. So, yeah, you set expectations immediately. Right. To try to get the bar in a certain place. But I think the advantage we have as, you know, college level, university level trumpet professors is that we, we have a we have the opportunity to model this behavior. Right. They know what we're doing. Yes, you get up in the morning and you practice, right? You do this every day and, these, and this is how you participate and you write and you read and you're engaged and you go to conferences and all those things. But modeling that behavior and practicing what you preach is a great way to get that going. Um, the, Very this, important. When I this, got to IU, I was surprised how few uh, competitions, and, and again, I, music isn't all about winning, although I grew up in Texas thinking that it was. Uh, <laughs> but, I, you know, I looked at something like the National Trumpet Competition, which we all like quite a bit, uh, and thought, why are my students not going to this? Not for the winning, but for the, there are other people around the country doing the same thing you're doing. 
Right. Let's go meet them. Let's go check them out. Let's go, let's go out there and play. And then you put yourself out there. You meet other people doing the same thing. It only broadens your world of trumpet players. Now, well, I, will, I want to say this, too, about the student buy-in part, which is so important. But I, I look back over years of building a program and knowing that how pivotal it was to get the right students in the program right, and making them a centerpiece of what's going on because that, having that one great student, building that culture from within, that student will get you other students that are like that. Right. They'll attract other students at that level with that commitment and all that. Um, this is a lesson I learned when I was teaching public school. Old band director friend of mine said, you know, I said, the problem was I had no trombones in the band, right? So he goes, here's the deal. You got to pick two kids from another section and you got to start them together. You can't start one, you got to start two. And I'm like, What's the deal? Well, they'll stick together. They'll help, right? Well, this was, a, this was gold, right? I picked the right two, probably stumbled on it. I'm not saying I, you know, I managed to get it right somehow. Picked the right two who made it the coolest thing in the world to be a trombone player in that band. Next thing you know, I, I got more trombones than I know what to do with because everyone <laughs> wants in that section. Right. So the power of that that buy-in from students and then building that culture around those students and letting them participate in it and own it is that's powerful stuff if you're if you're a high school band director and you're out there and you're trying to figure out how to establish and build that culture you need that buy-in everybody wants to be a part of something that's great and so mm -hmm. if you can make your program great you won't have to worry about recruiting people will come to that program and they will join your band they will be on that marching with yeah. with that team we um we talked That's about really important we've talked about us sorry a, you guys were talking about establishing a standard yeah yeah um we've talked about jim collins in the book good to great before right but he's got a a, a monograph in addition to that is this process you know um you know that's just amazing like you um, if you do this, this happens, and then that increases this, which increases that. And before you know it, the flywheel is just spinning flywheel, and spinning yeah. on its own. You know, um, That's the best way to think about installing that culture. Right, yeah, the student buy is important, but, and again, the right students. Because I think when I got here, you know, like I said, I took Marie Speziali's place. So, you know, four years in, my studio did not look like the studio Marie left because we teach differently, we attract different kinds of students. Then I was establishing this is what I want to be able to do with that studio. And I think now, you know, having been here a long time now, uh, people know what they're getting when they come in. And not that I'm only doing one thing, but there's a different, there's a vibe of how I do these sorts of things. And there's a buy-in and there are students out there and there are teachers out there that say, yeah, that could be a good place. So when they come here, it's, it's a known quantity and that's, it's, easier now that I've been here 18 years than it was when I started when I'm saying here's what I'm trying to do here's what I'm trying to do here's what I'm trying to do but it takes a lot of work on the way in to really establish that and and believe in what you're doing so that you can really create it if you're thinking it's gonna happen in one year it probably isn't I think of this a lot um, I, I, I do not like comparing musicians to athletes because athletes are athletes and musicians are artists so I think it's different one of the ways in which we are similar, we do, uh, there's a lot of similarities in how we prepare, but one of the ways is in building this culture. If we think about um, head coaches in, in, in sports, I think uh, if you're hired at a college to be a head coach, you should get five years because until five years are in, they're not all your yeah. players in your yeah. system. They'll be your team, and yeah. So you might get, you know, there, there are plenty of times and we've seen plenty of places where after two years, somebody does really, really well and they get an extension. I'm like, that's too early. We don't know if that's all them yet. Right. Or two years in and it's floundering. And they're like, ah, oh, we're just going to have to let you go. I'm like, wait, that may not be it yet. And they go somewhere else and have that success. Yeah. You need those five years because after five years, everybody who came in came in with you in that position. And that, that's empowering knowledge to somebody, let's say, in their first year as a college trumpet professor somewhere, right? This is your first gig. And you're, you're trying to do this maybe in such a way that you think you should be doing it, right? But it's going to take time for you to put your stamp on it and for you to be comfortable in your own skin and do what you need to do. Because that, that authenticity sells as well. Right? Absolutely. In, incoming students they want to audition for you and come and play for you, they're going to know the difference if you're living and working within your own authentic system where you're trying to be something else. It's got to be you. Yeah, you can't right? fool students. I, anybody no. who's a teacher at any level, you no. know, I've taught kindergarten and I teach college now. You cannot fool students. Students will know if you're trying to snow them or if you're just being false. 
So, right, you've got to be honest and, and figure out what you want to be doing, and then you have to spend the time. And it, like I said, my first couple of years here with very good students in a very good situation, I had a lot of frustrations and had to keep mm -hmm. reminding myself, right, this isn't all of yours yet. Well, I think one advantage, and Joey, maybe you'll disagree, but I think, Brian, you'll agree with me here, is that you've kind of built your studio on like students who can't get in at Messiah or Rowan, well, right? Yeah. And then we, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Of course. And then we, look, here's an alternative. We're happy to turn over that list. Go see Joey. Well, exactly. And, and then what I use, I use that bitterness they have at not being able <laughs> to study with you guys <laughs> to drive true. them and motivate them, you know. We, yeah. Well, yeah, and you, th you think about the word culture, you know. I mean, I, we, look, look at Trombamundi, right? Look at the culture yeah. that we have there, right? I mean, we put the cult in culture, <laughs> really. <laughs> this, this group, Indeed. you know what I'm saying? But the way that we, you know, we do push each other, mostly Absolutely. through ver verbal abuse. But there, you know, but there is this musical, uh, you know, everything rises, right? We, we, we put a challenge in front of us, everybody rises to meet that challenge. And, and that is the culture. There's no backing out. There's no saying you can't or you won't. I mean, you just do it. You, you don't want to show that chink in the armor either. Well, but not oh. only that, we do, we do know that uh, we want it to be right and sound great. And so right. there is no shortcut to that aside from, okay, then we need to figure out how we can possibly do that. Well, like Brian said a minute ago, everybody wants to be part of something great. And when you do something like put the music first and put the program first and then everybody buys into that, well, then we're all on the same page moving forward. Right. And, and that might be the most significant key to the thing. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's not, it, it, again, when, if you're starting out, this is the, hard, the first two years of the hardest mm. thing you do is establishing it it can be really, really difficult because you've got to, one, prove it, show it, and then have students buy into it. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, in, in the high school setting, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Like, you don't want to, you, it's your first year, you don't want to write off the seniors and juniors. You, you don't, because you should you make sure they have a great experience, even though there's a change over there. But ultimately, your band, the future of that group, is you going to be catering to middle school kids who are coming into the program. That's where to invest your time. Um, to make sure that they're buying into your system and you're getting your culture installed there. Yeah. Now, yeah, but on the opposite side, if you're starting at a college and you come in with some juniors that you think might be underachieving, if you can really in two years get them to a place where either a really good grad school is an option or even winning you know, a job or, or, or finding mm -hmm. some positions. Excellent point. Boy, does that really help the younger students say, oh, maybe this person knows what they're doing. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, that gets you some buy-in. And, you know, I, I say this a lot, you know, we all like employed students. So when it was a couple of years ago, we had a, a doctoral student auditioning here at IU. And, asked, you know, we, we take a while with the doctoral students. We'll have them play, and we do a lot of talking. Uh, does he have any questions for us? And he said, um, well, can you tell me where your most recent doctoral students are right now? Now, and, and John and Ed, I, I think we're just... They were a little, they, I both, they kind of looked. And I said, well, you know, from Ed's studio, we can point to this person, this person, and, and from John's studio, this person, this person, my studio, this person, this person, all working, all in positions, m you know, military bands, mm -hmm. orchestras, teaching positions, you know. And he said, oh, well, thanks. That helps an awful lot. And the student walked out, and John Ed looked at me and goes, man, that makes us sound pretty good. And I said, guys, <laughs> I think we are pretty, <laughs> pretty good. good. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know, I actually, I, I'm not lying. I actually believe in what we're yeah. doing here. Don't, I think don't, we do it well. Don't bury the lead. Yeah, they're, <laughs> like under, they're like underselling. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess some students are doing okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, put that out there, man. And, and look, we all know those schools, right? We know those schools, like trumpet schools. How many great right. people came? Well, we mentioned ASU a little bit ago, right? How many yeah. times has that come up when David Hickman was teaching there, right? And the great traditions or cultures or whatever you want to call them across this country where it's been so consistent, they've been productive and successful teaching. Yeah, those are all, those are all cultures established by teachers, and it's not necessarily because the school of music is world-renowned. It could be, well, there are world-renowned music schools that aren't great trumpet schools, mm. and there are solid music schools out there that are great music and trumpet schools, right? And this is one of the things I was trying to explain to my mother when I got this job, is my mother is not a musician. She is one of our listeners. Yes, but, she uh, is. Uh, I, I called and said, hey, listen, I'm really excited. I got the job I'm teaching. I'm going to be teaching trumpet at IU. And she goes, that's nice, honey. <laughs> and it wasn't until she went and talked. She was in her, her church choir and said, hey, those of you who remember, you know, Joey, he's going to be moving to Bloomington. He's going to teach trumpet at IU. And one of the musicians in the San Antonio Symphony said, wow, IU, that's, 
that's really good. Like, and she called and she, me. Wow, he seemed really it. impressed. I'm like, Mom, this yeah. is a really good school, a really good trumpet school. There's a lot <laughs> of history there. I'm really excited about getting the chance to join here. And she's like, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. That's great. But inside the trumpet world, we all know, uh, you know, IU's been a great trumpet school for right? decades. Forever, yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, one of our sponsor, sponsors contacted me last week and said, uh, you know, really, like, if you decide to have guests on the show, I'd like to be on. And I'm like, well, listen, there's a long line of people. Uh, yeah. That are going to be guests on the show. Joey's mom, Obviously. top of the list. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. she's she's got to be first, right? Uh, you would think. I'm yeah, sure fact, she'd be happy. I'm going to go back and take Marie off that list and say, <laughs> I need to have coffee with <laughs> Judith. I've got some questions. You I did think, have coffee with my mom. I did. Yeah, tell yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> I did. But I've got more questions now. Yeah, I'll bet. The process has really revealed some things that Brian and I would like to know about. <laughs> and she is always happy to throw me under any bus that's near. Her, her recent comment on Facebook was, Brian se- wasn't it her that said that Brian seems so normal next to the two of you? <laughs> She's nice going to say that. Finishing, it, currently it, finishing last? There it is. That's you. <laughs> well, hopefully that is some helpful information uh, about installing a culture, as we know, really, really important to moving or advancing our programs forward and helping our students. And now it's time for No Offense. Like playing C trumpet on a Pops concert or worse, in a big band. (laughs) Choosing the wrong horn for the job is a huge no-no in the trumpet world. Now, listen, we admit that there's not always a right horn, but there can indeed be a wrong one. If you're using the wrong horn for the job, no offense, but you are literally are doing it wrong. really really wrong <laughs> I, I i i get to play pops concerts all over the place and it's it's really great there have been a couple of times where i've seen essentially we're playing big band music with strings and i see a piccolo trumpet on the stand and think oops i don't think that's a thing like that's just the wrong sound for what you're trying to get out there <laughs> you know it's not okay <laughs> and and again, what you're saying, it, there's a nuance to this because there's sure. not always a right answer, but sometimes there is a wrong answer. But boy, there's a good general rule of thumb. Look to what the principal's doing. You should not be playing a smaller horn than the principal is playing, mm. generally speaking, right? Yeah, if the principal is on B flat trumpet and you're playing third or fourth, why would you be on C? And some people will easily argue that, well, I mean, you know, they're interchangeable and I can sound just good or I'm um, comfortable. But while there really is something to playing all B flats in a section, the overtone series matches up. You don't have to yes. worry about those sorts of things. You know? Yes, it does. And if the first player is on C, now you may have some options, right? If you're playing second, you may think, well, what's right? And you may even want to ask, would right. you prefer? Would you prefer I'm on B flat? Would you prefer me to play C and match or be B flat because you want that little bit more of an anchor? Or sometimes if you're on a third and fourth part, it's made for you because there are low G's in the part. Right. But wow, it, it, I think it's pretty it's pretty easy to say if that principal player is playing B flat trumpet, why would you play anything else? So if you're saying you shouldn't play anything smaller than the principal player, would you say that's true? If you you could opt to play a cornet, that is smaller than a trumpet. You shouldn't do that either. Never. Yeah. Never. Brian, ever. Asking for a friend. Give a better sound to the first player to sing. Literally, asking for that friend right there. (laughs) That's who I'm asking for. Yeah. So, So, yeah, that. The B flat C trumpet in the section thing. So when I was at North Texas, we're, you know, we're playing B flat trumpets all the time in the wind symphony. That's what we did. And it always worked. And then this guy shows up the second year and uh, let's just say, you know, I don't want to, although this is no offense, let's just, his initials are Steve Doobie and Steve, <laughs> Steve, long initials. Steve Dubay. Yeah. Long, long. <laughs> Steve lives in Switzerland now in Basel, Switzerland, teaches at an international school just one of my favorite people we're great friends and I'm, I'm i hope eventually he hears this and um so he shows up steve's that guy right and he's playing c trumpet now he steve you know is the one guy who could get away with this well he there are was, people that can it, get away with it yeah it was incredible we all wanted to just hate it and we're all just sitting there going okay i'm just waiting for the first time right man he sounded like a million bucks <laughs> he made it work but that's not always the case But even when you do that, that doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, I think he sold everything to buy that C trumpet. So I think that's that was it. 
Yeah, and then there are people, and there are people out there. And if you're one of these people, I'm going to add a bonus. No offense, if you're playing C trumpet because you're just more comfortable on it than you are on your B flat, mm. then yeah, no offense, you're doing that wrong too. Yeah. You should be got comfortable enough on your B flat trumpet so that you should be able to perform on that. So what about the teacher? Have you heard this one where the teacher, the student gets a C trumpet and the teacher says, put your B flat away for two months. You go play that C trumpet in every ensemble and, and you just play it until you get used to it and you transpose and all that stuff. Have you heard this one before? Yeah. And I don't love it. I, I, I understand the concept. Mm -hmm. of I want that C trumpet to feel like home base to you. And yes. I agree with that concept. I like that idea. But I don't think you have to do that by giving away the B flat. I think you can do both. Right. Yeah. And yeah, especially just go back and forth. Yeah. Right. But to go sit in an ensemble and get used to a horn while everyone else is playing B flats is not probably well, not that's cool. Weird. Yeah. I mean, I was a yeah. little surprised when I got to Eastman, and, you know, first wind ensemble rehearsal and I looked down the line and everybody has their C's out. I'm like, oh yeah, of course I knew that. Uh, that was sort of the, <laughs> right. the fault at that time was we just played C's and I got, yeah. I got used to that quickly, but it was, uh, it was a change for me. I was not used to that. Well, and back to like piccolo on the pops thing. I mean, it's just not the right color. They're more character, right? If you're Correct. playing, a, you're playing above the staff on the B flat and you're zinging something out there, that's just not going to be the case on the pick. No, it's the wrong sound for the job, right? right? If, if you're playing a big band concert and you're going to the piccolo because that's the way you can get those notes out, well, you have a fundamental issue to work on here because you should be trying to do just like anything else you want the right tool for the job and you want the right sound for the job and piccolo trumpet is never the right sound to play lead in a big band it's probably right. also the wrong dynamic for the job <laughs> well unless you're really hammering that b-flat <laughs> pick yeah. so so joey you can you can start wearing some of the new merchandise when the pops concerts start up again right you're going <laughs> to show up with your world trumpet federation t-shirt you're doing it wrong you <laughs> yeah, just absolutely. wear it just wear it right to the rehearsal right that that's gonna that's gonna keep getting me hired that's a that's yeah gonna <laughs> that's a good move that and the question are you gonna play that you gonna play <laughs> that on this oh is that what we're gonna do okay yeah crazy well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe, or whatever works for you. And please tell your friends, because we appreciate your patronage, patience, and perseverance. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.